words on water. This episode is brought to you by Chemetrics. Chemetrics manufactures water analysis test kits and instruments for over 50 essential analytes. Chemetrics products utilize self-filling reagent ampules that simplify and speed water quality testing. Chemetrics serves the water treatment, food and beverage, petroleum refining, and power generation industries, to name a few. Chemetrics also produces two lines of COD reagent vials, EPA-approved and mercury-free. Visit Chemetrics.com for more information. Welcome to Words on Water, a podcast from the Water Environment Federation. I'm the host, Travis Loop. Disinfection at wastewater treatment facilities is a critical issue, a core part of what is happening there every day. I'm joined by two guests to talk about disinfection and developments on that front. I have Joanne Carpenter, Director of R&D at Chemetrics. Joanne, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. And I'm also joined by Katie Bell, Director of Water Strategy at Brown and Caldwell. Katie, thanks for joining as well. Travis, I'm excited to have an opportunity to talk about peracetic acid today. Yes, I am excited to continue my education on this front. Uh, It's always an enjoyable part of these podcasts for me personally. So let's start with a real basic question. How do wastewater treatment facilities in the U.S. achieve disinfection? Well, Travis, I'll hop in and answer that. Chlorination actually has been the standard for disinfecting um, treated wastewater effluents. And it's actually been one of the most important um, technology advances in uh, the 20th century with respect to public health successes. The challenge is, is that in the 60s and 70s, when we began to develop information about um, disinfection byproducts, there was a big push to begin to look at alternatives um, for disinfection because we wanted to balance the destruction of pathogenic microorganisms against the potential effects of disinfection byproducts that were having impacts on the biota and receiving waters as well as potentially having public health consequences. So we saw a move towards UV disinfection um, and UV is probably around a third of all of wastewater treatment plants today. Mm. And a smaller percentage of plants that deploy um, ozone for disinfection. The challenge is, is UV and ozone aren't applicable for every plant that's out there. Um, When we have low UV transmittance or we have a lot of color in the water, UV may not be viable. Or if we have a high ozone demand, ozone may not be viable. So if a plant's trying to move away from chlorination, um, there's not a lot of other options if they have uh, challenges with some of those water quality characteristics. And this is what's made parasitic acid an interesting uh, technology for wastewater disinfection. 
could you maybe explain what parasitic acid is and, and what it's used for beyond this wastewater disinfection option? Sure. Um, parasitic acid is actually an equilibrium mixture that's made by um, combining hydrogen peroxide and glacial acetic acid. And the, over time, uh, there's an equilibrium solution of four different um, compounds that include the uh, acetic acid, parasitic acid, hydrogen peroxide, and water. And the germicidal efficacy of parasitic acid is why we use this product. And it's interesting because parasitic's been used for decades and decades in other industries. It's used in the food and beverage industries for um, non-chlorine disinfection of um, fruits and vegetables, for example, medical device sterilization. It's wi used widely in uh, hospitals as surface cleaners. And so it's um, interesting to now see that this is a uh, bio wastewater disinfection is another use for parasitic acid in North America. What historically have been the challenges with using parasitic acid or even considering it? You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that it's actually been used in Europe for over two decades, and it's really been um, a cost issue in the United States. The economics of PAA haven't panned out until recent years when additional um, produ production facilities have come into play, as well as some of the challenges around regulatory acceptance of um, parasitic acid disinfection. So the ongoing work over the last 10 years in the US and a lot of what's been published in the book that we're gonna be talking about today are the things that have contributed to us being able to open the door to PAA for municipalities in the US. But Europe has been using it for a couple of decades, like you said, um, and I guess, they've been able to do that successfully because they've had a greater supply that helps with the cost issue or what, what enabled Europe to, to use it for the past 20 years or so? Yeah, they had a little bit, Europe is typically ahead of us on environmental regulations and they actually had a greater emphasis on the formation of disinfection byproducts. And this was really the fact that, um, are using a lot of the reclaimed effluent for agricultural purposes. And so that was one of the biggest driving factors is to get those potentially carcinogenic compounds out of the effluent that were being used for agricultural purposes. Mm, okay. So it's uh, regulatory drivers a bit more over exactly. there. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So let's, let's talk more about what has changed recently that makes parasitic acid more viable for disinfection? What, what has shifted? Well, I think that there's been site-specific investigations throughout the United States that have contributed to sort of our more um, North American knowledge of the process. And that has gone a long way in helping um, state regulatory agencies um, grab a hold of this technology and be willing to take it on. What's been interesting about parasitic acid is, is it's been a very bottom-up regulatory um, development where we see the uptake in states before it was actually approved by the EPA for use. One of the biggest limiting factors was 
um, the lack of a standard method or a method that was approved by the EPA for measuring the residuals in the effluent that's discharged. And the document that um, compiles those approved methods is 40 CFR 136. And that was actually one of the greatest barriers to implementation of PAA in many states. Yeah, Joanne, I'd love to hear more about the standard methods and, and how that comes together and what the importance of that is. Uh, well, my role in this larger piece was to um, um, usher in a method to measure peracetic acid. It was actually a very old method that's been around a long time. Um, some of the listeners may recognize it, the reagent DPD. It commonly measures uh, chlorine, bromine, ozone, and it'll do the same for peracetic acid. So um, I worked within the standard methods organization to um, develop a testing protocol to validate the method for PAA. And uh, we knew right off the bat that to get um, laboratories involved, it would be tricky because when you dose wastewater with peracetic acid, it starts to be degrade very quickly. And so hitting a stopwatch and keeping everything controlled with respect to time was important. And uh, commonly, this kind of validation interlaboratory testing is done um, without getting people together. People are, uh, samples are shipped to the labs. Uh, this wasn't gonna be possible for peracetic acid. And so um, a PAA vendor uh, graciously agreed to host an interlaboratory study. Hmm. And we, um, rounded up uh, wastewater samples from different plants representing across the country. And we had a um, person who was responsible for spiking those samples and then distributing them among the uh, seven or eight participants who were, who were the lab rats. <laughs> and so we um, we're able to use commonly available test kits. Oftentimes in the old days, reagents were prepared from scratch. And we knew that um, today laboratories use, you know, uh, commonly available test kits. So mm -hmm. the study involved two different test kits and um, it took about uh, two days to pull off and you know replication detection limits and so um when that was all done then the work began to crunch out the data and the statistics and the performance to to describe the performance of the method and then that has to be voted up or down within the standard methods organization and what about the cost side of things is that still uh maybe an issue or is that uh changed as well yeah, I think there's two things that have happened is that the costs ha have come down pound for pound. It's still more expensive than bulk sodium hypochlorite or chlorine. Um, but what we find in our investigations is that we typically require a much smaller dose to achieve disinfection than we need 
hypochlorite. And then when we factor in the fact that most parasitic acid disinfectants don't require dechlorination or quenching, that cost is also, when it's factored in in a life cycle analysis, does begin to shape um, a competitive economic environment for parasitic acid. So that coupled with the construction of additional production facilities um, and the ramp up of production for PAA in the, in, um, in the U.S. So because we have more production facilities and more competition in um, the chemical uh, commodity space, mm-hmm. we're seeing a decrease in the co- unit cost of that um, chemistry. Well, you know, it was mentioned early on in our conversation just about kind of the percentage breakdown, if you will, of facilities uh, and and how they achieve disinfection. Um, how is the actual use of parasitic acid, uh, dis, you know, in in disinfection changing? Is there um, is there really an increase in the number of facilities that are uh, going this route? Yeah, so I mean, I think if you consider we have somewhere around 15,000 wastewater treatment plants in the U.S. today, uh, maybe a third of those are UV. We're, there's a lot of room. Um, the, the vast majority of the rest of those are, are still either gas, chlorine, or maybe have even converted to li- liquid sodium hypochlorite. And so it's those facilities that really have the opportunity to um, be converted to parasitic acid. One of the things that's really exciting about parasitic acid in terms of cost is that um, the contact basin that is used for a chlorine disinfection system can be reused for a parasitic acid uh, disinfection contact tank. So there's an extremely low capital cost in terms of retrofitting a chlorine disinfection facility. Well, that's a huge bonus. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'd love to, to hear more of how a facility evaluates if parasitic acid is a fit, because I know that it's not going to be in all cases. There are, there are opportunities. So what, is a, what does a, a facility have to do to evaluate the feasibility of going this route? Well, um, what we typically do is we start small and work up the um, S-curve to implementation, if you will. And so typically what's done is either bench or jar testing to evaluate the feasibility um, in beakers, if you will. And if that pencils out on paper as the dose being economically competitive, then we would typically move to some sort of a, a small scale pilot or a pipe reactor pilot. And again, then that allows us to evaluate multiple points in time as opposed to a single sample point in time and gets us some information about how the treatment technology would perform through diurnal cycles and um, of different demands. And if that pencils out, we can either move into a full-scale demonstration study, which is what many of the larger facilities have done um, by installing temporary PAA feed systems, or we can move from a pilot typically into a full-scale um, deployment of the technology. Mm. You know, the landscape has been shifting. 
uh, and it, it is shifting at the moment. What what do you think looking forward? What you know, uh, as parasitic acid maybe realizes its potential in disinfection. What what do you think that might might look like ultimately? In terms of the market, I think we may you know see something like an uptake of ten to fifteen percent of the numbers of plants in the U.S. What's really interesting is the ease of operation of PAA systems. We're talking about a single chemical with limited mechanical operating parts. It's really simply a a feed system. And that makes it very, very attractive for small facilities that are trying to move away from challenges around the risk management practices of uh, gas chlorine. And then other facilities that are concerned about um, regulatory requirements on disinfection byproducts into sensitive receiving water bodies. Next steps for people or where they can go for more information. I know you mentioned that, you know, the, um, if you could talk about the standard methods and manual and any other resources that people that are interested in learning more about parasitic acid and exploring if it's a fit for their facility. Um, yeah. Could you run down where, uh, how people can get educated? Sure. Um, the, in uh, August 2020, WEF, uh, the Water Environment Federation published um, a special publication called Parasitic Acid Disinfection, Implementation Considerations for Water Resource Recovery Facilities. And that document is a collaboration among utilities, engineers, operators, PAA manufacturers, and regulators. And it was great because it was able to collect a breadth of perspectives and compile that knowledge in a single document. And so that's a go-to guide for the practical experience around how to evaluate and move forward, implement, uh, and manage PA disinfection system. Um, There's some really nice case study examples in that document uh, around testing, the design, permitting, construction, and operation of a system for disinfection compliance. One of the key pieces that I mentioned was the lack of a um, standard method in the early days of PAA. And so that's actually recently been published as well by standard and really kind of completes the picture of us being able to deploy these systems. As I said at the beginning, I was I was looking forward to learning a lot more myself. I appreciate you uh, and, and providing all this information that that helped me do that and and sharing it all with our audience, Joanne and Katie. Uh, very interesting. Thank you both very much. Thank you very much. Words on water.